Uh, my name is Pastor John Jay. I'm the lead pastor here at FBC Pasadena. It's a really special day today. Uh, and so I want to give you a little bit of information about what's happening. Today is Homecoming Sunday. Now, this is a newer tradition around here, but in a lot of other congregations, Homecoming Sunday is sort of a yearly thing where we call everyone back into their church family. And life takes us all over the place. And to be called back together is a sacred act. Now, one of the things we get to do today as well is we've asked some of our previous pastors and leaders of this congregation if they would be back with us to share in worship leadership. And so uh, I'm going to introduce each of them as we go along. Now, unfortunately, uh, Steve and Joyce Hasper are with family in Indiana. So they were so kind as to send us a video of welcome for the day. So I'm going to ask if you would turn and uh, they're going to greet us for the day. Good morning, church. Joyce and I celebrate with you today a rich 135-year history of FBCP, sharing the good news of Jesus in Pasadena, the San Gabriel Valley, and really around the world. Joyce and I remember with joy our journey with you as we serve God together uh, for several years. Joyce, we're often asked, so what are we doing now? So what are we doing now? What we're doing this morning as you worship is we're in Indianapolis with our family. We love to get out of town and spend time with family and friends. When in town, we spend a lot of time at City of Hope, where Steve is receiving treatment and where he serves as co-chair of the Patient and Family Advisory Council. We also love to talk to people, patients, caregivers, and those at City of Hope. Uh, we love to encourage people as they go through their treatments. We also have a highlight every week where we spend time with our grandkids. That's probably about our favorite thing. As you celebrate today God's work among you, I want to remind all of us that FBCP has been involved in thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ and to follow him as Lord and Savior. I was thinking recently also of the number who passed through the church and are serving God around the world. Recently, you said goodbye to Colin as he goes to South Korea to serve God. I was thinking of Kit Ripley and the many missionaries we support through the World Mission Offering, and I encourage us all to give generously to that. And then uh, not long ago, Joyce and I were with Blair, who is now on the other coast in North Carolina, serving God faithfully in a church. So uh, FBCP's impact is really a worldwide impact. So we want to say happy homecoming, and we also want to give you many blessings over the next 135 years of ministry. I know that many of you pray for Joyce and me, and thank you, thank you so very much. And now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in God so that you overflow with hope. Amen. So they are in Indiana. You're going to have to clap louder if they're going to hear you. So let's just one more time as we kind of all gather together. Part of, at least whenever I clap, is partly saying thank you with our bodies uh, for, well, especially for Stephen Joyce and their years of service and leadership. Uh, now, I would love to introduce you to uh, Dr. Harold Lane. Uh, we met about a year ago. Come on up. Uh, you introduced yourself as Hal, but everyone calls you Dr. Lane. Dr. Lane was the pastor. I'm going to ask if you would give the years of service and just a word of address. Uh, we met like a year ago at a mission banquet. And all I can say that I know to be deeply true is that you have incredibly kind eyes, which is a lot to say for a pastor. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Lane.
Pastor John said that I may say a few words. He's taking a real chance. I served here from 1978 through 1994. I still retain the title of Pastor Emeritus. What that really means is you're too old to be of much good. These steps weren't here when I first came, but now uh, you can uh, see that we've opened up the chancel, and I think it makes a great difference. My joy in being pastor here, I guess I have the longest tenure of any of the 135 years that have been taking place here in this very important part. We had uh, some wonderful years. We ordained 16 people. I spent plenty of time up in the baptistry. Had a good uh, feeling with uh, so many. We were number two in mission giving. We never were able to catch up to Pomona. They always seem to be ahead. So it's a joy to be with you. I pray for you always, for your pastor, Pastor John Jay, and for all of the work that's going on here at First Baptist. Would you bow with me as we pray, please? Eternal God, we give you thanks this day for the recognition of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to express gratitude. We thank you, Lord, for the ministries of this church over so many years. Many, many people won to the kingdom of God. We ask, Lord, your continued blessing upon this pastor, his family, and this church. We're grateful for them. We ask, Lord, you would continue to bring great joy and blessing to this fellowship. We pray that you would help each of us to be good examples of faith. May we be disciples in such a way as to be good witnesses to our faith. May people see Jesus Christ in us, and may we lend our witness to the beautiful presentation of grace that we have from God through his Son, our Savior. Thank you now for this day, for this church. I pray for its many ministries as it continues to serve you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, I pray. Amen. Sometimes in a building like this, I don't know if you both felt this way, uh, the whole structure can overwhelm the senses. And even sometimes we might start to think that we will be known as Christians because of our structures or the footprint that we might leave, but it's something about love that is robust and the thing that we continue to carry with us, the sort of truest and purest gift from God. So thank you, choir, for singing that reminder to us and for us now. Let me introduce you to another friend of mine, uh, Dr. Bill Goddard. We got breakfast pretty early whenever I, I came to Pasadena, and uh, it's been really good to get to know you. First, 
when we met, you gave me a book of yours that you wrote, sort of a memoir. And there's a couple of chapters in there that are about your time here at First Baptist Pasadena. should also say that uh, we have spent a ton of time as a staff in the archives. We have a history room. And you both are just sort of like all over the place there from all of the stuff that you've uh, done here and the ways that you've served. Um, Bill, would you mind coming up and reading our scripture and also saying a few words for us today? Uh, Bill is also at Atherton, where he still is able to serve. I should say both uh, Harold and Bill are still preaching and teaching. Their ministry just does not... You don't get to retire from this? Oh, my goodness. Would you share a few words with the congregation about when you served and some of what it was? Amen. Thank you, John Jay. I had the privilege of serving here from 1963 through 1977, just before Harold came. And uh, those were great years. I remember something that uh, a seminary professor said to me early on in my ministry. He said, Bill, it's difficult to be both clever and winsome for Christ. And I confess that too often in my ministry, I have sought to be clever more than winsome. And I've asked God to forgive me for that. And to confess to you that I hope that I am now more winsome than I can be clever. I'm thinking of the words of Moses now who was looking ahead to a time when people would gather for homecoming. He recorded this in what we call the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. I'll be reading from chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to prosper and to possess it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you have harvested from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in the office at that time, and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice saw our afflictions and toil, and brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given us. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. 
Then you shall, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. May these ancient words find new life in our lives today as we celebrate what God has done and what he will continue to do in our lives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can we, uh, can we do something together as we step into the preaching and teaching moment? Can we say thank you one more time to uh, Steve and Hal and to Bill? I feel that deeply. Uh, I mean, my office is the same place where you sat and opened the Bible and studied and tried to hear God's voice. And so it is humbling to stand in this space. It's been humbling this entire week, in fact. Uh, humbling is a good practice, but it is not one that we are always very good at. And uh, so here we are. Now, I was going to preach on a story of Jacob and Esau's meeting but somewhere on Thursday. I don't know if this happened to you on Thursday, something about Thursday, uh, things took a turn. And so you heard the reading from Deuteronomy 26. But let me start with the story of, of Jacob that happens in Genesis 32, which is Jacob gets a new name. Do you remember the story? Jacob wrestles with this messenger from God and uh, Jacob wants to know who it is he's wrestling with. And this messenger, this angel who might in fact be God says, no longer are you to be called Yaakov or Jacob. Now you are Yisrael, the one who struggles with God. Twice, Jacob didn't get to choose his own name. Have you ever thought about what you would name yourself if you got a chance to do this thing over? Right? Probably something that did not rhyme with some other pejorative in life when you were growing up in middle school. Have you met folks, and maybe you are these kind of parents who you have a Maybe they had a kid, and you ask, what's the baby's name? And they say, well, the baby hasn't decided what their name's going to be yet. It's going to be right that you sort of get to choose. Do you know this? This is, this is a thing. There is this uh, hmm, kind of creeping cultural assumption that we are self-made. That we name who we are, that we strike out our own identity in the world, that we put this thing together. We're always, even now, remaking ourselves, our own image. Today is not about that. Today is about the story that we have received. The one that we have been written into. Not the one that we just sort of cooked up out of the blue. Deuteronomy 26. What I want to talk about today is a story that is not of our own making. One of my professors in school, uh, Dr. Stanley Hauerwas, he talks about freedom in the Christian context. And he says uh, that what we mean when we say freedom often in the Western world is the freedom to choose stories for folks who don't yet have a story, we get to make this thing up new. That's very American. We kind of struck out and we started things fresh and new. That's often what we talk about when we're talking about freedom. The freedom to choose a story for people who were not given a story or who did not receive a story. 
Now, each of you come in here today. Some of you have been here for quite a while. Chappie, you're back there. Raise your hand for us. Can you say, when, were, when did you start attending here? When did you start attending here at this church? 50 years. My goodness. 50 years means the place is different because you've been here. Uh, Tomas, how long have you been at this congregation? One day. One day. <laughs> you showed up. <laughs> what you learn over time, Chappie, right? Maybe you came in knowing this. Is that God has been telling your story. And this congregation helps to point the way. We walk in here thinking we know who we are. We know what we've been made of. We know where our lives are headed. But what happens is often it sort of gets intersected by some other sacred intention for your life. And you are told who you are. No longer are you Yaakov. No longer are you Jacob. Now you are Yisrael, the one who struggles with God. This is a sermon about remembering well. It's a sermon about receiving a story, not always just writing one. So you ready? Here's the context for Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy 26, if you have a Bible, you can open to it. This is another one of those passages that is just deeply, deeply grounding. So here is the context. Moses, Moses is standing in front of the people. And they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They have been together for quite a while. They have been through a lot together. And Moses begins to tell them what's going to happen next as they prepare to enter into the land. And the biggest fear about what might happen next is they might forget. They're going to forget who they are. They're going to forget what God has done for them. Because at some point their fortunes are going to turn. They're not going to be in a place called the wilderness, the desolate places they're going to be in this place called a land flowing with milk and honey if you don't like milk and honey choose whatever you would prefer that land to be flowing with whatever is downstairs right now waiting for is in the potluck right like that just kind of flowing in the streets and so moses says to them when you've come into the land the lord your god is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and settle it you're going to take some of your first fruits now this is a very common thing that was done in the ancient world First fruits of the harvest, you were always to give those as an offering to the gods. This is a way to secure future fortune. It was a way to say thank you. It was also a way to remember that the cycles of nature repeat over and over and over again. But the Jewish people do something different with time. They, they create this kind of revolution of meaning where no longer do you keep time by the rhythms of nature. You keep time By God's interruption in the story. God's action in the world becomes the markers for things. So at some point you're going to be in the land. And they do. They enter into the land. And they spread throughout the land. And they have this period of flourishing. And at regular cycles, they are supposed to go back to the temple. They're supposed to go back to Jerusalem. For some of you, it's like coming back to church. Uh, If you maybe drove in from Duarte or Monrovia, it's that kind of thing. You didn't walk here from there, but... They would have been spread out into all of the villages and all of the different uh, sort of rural areas. And they're all heading back into the temple and to Jerusalem. They're supposed to carry with them some of their first fruits. And as they were carrying them, you would have like a line of people who would be walking this journey or pilgrimage back home. 
and you'd hold this. And at the city gates, there would be the folks from Jerusalem. They'd been waiting for you. And they would greet you and they would say, the delegation from Monrovia is here. And everybody would cheer. And they would say, everyone from South Pasadena. And they would cheer. And nobody came from the beach today, right? So you came from Santa Monica, right? So you're that way. And everybody would welcome you back home. It was a big deal. It was a big deal to go home to Jerusalem. And you would bring the first fruits with you. You'd bring them up to the temple. And you would hold the basket, even by the handle, by the rim here. And the priest would receive it with their hand. And then you would say this line each time. This memory. You would speak it back into the world. And that's what Deuteronomy 26 is. This is what Moses tells them to say. Today I declare to the Lord your God that I've come into the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. And you're supposed to tell your story. Thanksgiving's coming up. Some of you will go home to see family. If y'all have this practice where there's one person in the family who tells all of the family stories, who's the keeper of the memories... In our family, it was Aunt Sal, and then it was also my mom. I've been bad at this, and so, Corey, you picked up this tradition where you listen to these stories and then tell me, do you know your own family, John Jay? There's so many cousins, I can't keep track of all my cousins. Right there, There's this practice of the keeper of the memories. But for the Hebrew people, everyone, everyone was the keeper of the memories. Everyone was supposed to know the story. It was inscribed on your heart, on your mind, on your soul. And so, you're supposed to say, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. Near he became a great nation, mighty and populous. You tell the story about your grandparents and your great-grandparents and great-great-great-great-great on back, however long This tradition stayed alive. You would go and you would tell your family's story. But here's the thing that they do. And this is the move we make every week. It's not just that they were in Egypt. Right? This becomes the power of our scriptures. Because the line turns and it says we were in Egypt. When the Egyptians treated us. Harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us. We cried out to the Lord. God heard our voices and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. We weren't there. I was, were you there? I wasn't there. Were, were you? No. None of us were in Egypt. When none of those folks who would have been saying this year after year would have been in Egypt. Yet this is the way that they told the story. Because here is the power of the story. The Lord brought us out of Egypt. The mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Terrifying display of power and signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land. A land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first fruits of the ground to you, O Lord, that you have given to me. We tell the story this way over and over again because God has rescued 
made possible the future that we are experiencing. And God continues to rescue. We've talked about what it's like to be in exile or to be in Egypt. You tell the story of what God has done as a reminder and instilling of the hope of what God can do, is still doing. Now here's what this means for us today. And this is why of like all the times that I've preached and spoken and stood here, I'm feeling small and big at the same time. It was uh, November 7th, 1883. That's when this congregation's story got going. I want to tell you a little bit about what I learned about our version of I was a wandering airman. And I went down to Egypt and God brought us out. This is our story of first fruits. Okay? So 13 people met. They had a sense that was 13 Baptists somewhere in Pasadena got together and said we should all hang out with each other Sunday to Sunday. The Methodists have something like this going. The Presbyterians have something like this going. We should have something like this too. So the third Protestant congregation in the city of Pasadena in 1883. The city is still a baby sort of city trying to figure out who it is. So 13 people gathered to become this congregation. That's a long time ago. Chappie, that's well before even you were here, right? No, nobody who was in that original group, I've seen their pictures, are here with us anymore. On that Sunday, two baptisms, immediately these signs of spring, these signs of new life. Not in that baptistry. And they named themselves First Baptist Church of Crown City. So Crown City is sort of the shorthand language for Pasadena, Crown of the Valley. Over time, it becomes First Baptist Church of Pasadena. Now, this church likes to tell a story. So there are so many histories that we found. Like every decade or so, someone else would write a history, which makes it really great whenever it's our turn to read that history and that story. But here's one from 1926, the neighbor. So the neighbor is this crazy, do you remember the neighbor or, or finding this in the archives? It's this uh, like periodical or newspaper that all the Baptist churches at that time in town would write together. And you all, it was supported by all of these businesses. There is a, um, I didn't, I'll show you later, another Sunday, for the, the pleasurable dentist had an ad in the paper. It was, uh, it's, he said, pleasure is better than pain. Of course. And he did not look like the kind of guy, though, that I would go to see the dentist. Anyway, uh, filled with all of the businesses in the area, likely from folks who were part of the congregation as well. And they were telling their story. Now, the reason that they, that they wrote this in part was because uh, 26 was when this building was built. 1926, uh, this sanctuary was put down here. Uh, before there was a church called the old church that was just over there. Uh, and then they outgrew it. And so they needed this space. So in 1926, they built this space. Uh, I want to say thank you. And what were you thinking to the folks back then? <laughs> Cause it was the roaring twenties. The roaring twenties were full of ambition and also full of hubris in uh, 28. They decided they needed that space, so they tore down the old church. So on the back of this neighbor issue, it says on the back there that we bid farewell as we take down old church. Uh, so they tore that down so they could build the education wing uh, that finished out in around 1930. Uh, I want to read you what they said about their own history. 
is from, from that issue. It says the church was composed of 13 members, but as its growth began the very day of its birth by the baptism of two new members, by the way, it's always interesting how your story becomes your story, becomes your story, becomes your story. Um, baptism of two new members has continually steadily to this present day, this growth. And now I love this line. And as harmony and cooperation have prevailed throughout its whole history, that is definitely pastoral fabrication. I mean, we'd be lucky to make it a week with harmony and cooperation as the only thing happening. Like, we're people in church. The world, I love this. The worldly superstition regarding unlucky 13 has proven to be without foundation in this congregation. So if anything goes wrong, we will blame it on those first 13. This is the language that was inside this. It's a beautiful uh, piece of history. And at some point, we'll, we'll turn it into a digital archive, and then we'll make sure that you can see it as well. They begin to tell the story about each building, about each building phase, about what was happening in the congregation. At the time that this was released, one of their sort of pillar members, uh, called a prince of the church is the way they talked about him, had died, who's deeply involved in this building project. Uh, it reminded me of Tom Harris, who's been a part of this congregation and deeply meaningful. We likely could bestow that same kind of language for him. Also, uh, this guy at this period who had passed away, who was eulogized, uh, was a humble, humble man. And, well, we've got plenty of those folks who are still with us. Uh, the 20s for our country, with the roaring 20s, were a time of ambition and reach, sometimes even overreach because what happened like right after these buildings were built the crash right the stock market crashed one of the things that i've noticed as i've read our story is the way that our story is woven into the story of pasadena the story of immigration the story of this country the story of california for my own family, the story of our own becoming, of Judah and of Ruthie. Judah was baptized in this baptistry. It's never just our story, but it's, it's God's story in with ours, in with the world, and, and the ways that those intertwine and sometimes as they diverge and converge. So, uh, one of the pastors in the 30s during the Great Depression, uh, church was struggling financially. Part of the reason the church built up so much in those years was because folks from the north would come over because the weather is really nice. Here. And the church had like 2,000 members who were known as snowbirds. Uh, immediately upon the Great Depression, those folks moved their memberships back east. And so the church was cut in half in just months. You can feel that, right? It's part of the story too. So the pastor at the time took a pay cut because it was hard to meet the budget. And uh, it was everything that you would feel in a season like that. And then a little bit later, if you read the archives, the same pastor had a heart attack during a deacon's meeting. And every pastor in the room said, that makes sense. (laughs) But there was a time. (laughs) There was a time when everything was blowing and going. The place was just kind of bursting at the seams. And you can see in our walls, you can see in the glass... I mean, these pews are the pews that were here for like a hundred years. You were sitting where these folks sat. They sang how firm a foundation at this, or they sang the same songs we sing. Come on. Read the same scriptures. We're given the same gospel. We have been changing 
and our story has remained the same. So hubris gives way to humility, gives way to all kinds of changes and trends. And then I found another from what's called the Diamond Jubilee year. So 1959. And uh, it was Pastor Charlie Bell. I haven't heard a ton about Pastor Bell. Do you all remember stories? You do. Uh, this is what he wrote in the intro to this uh, history. I'll read it for you. It's beautiful. As the First Baptist Church of Pasadena faces the future, then it is of secondary importance that the facade of Christian experience be maintained. When he's talking about facade, he's talking about the form that we might take together, how we organize ourselves, what our, what our worship looks like, what our preaching looks like. This is what a preacher looks like today. Who knew? I'm not even right here. I'm right here. That's different. Uh, and those drums are different, right? That's all the facade. It's all of secondary importance. On the other hand, it says form has meaning. Form, form, drums, form, the sanctuary, form. But it's not the central value in the Christian church. On the other hand, devotion to prophetic religious truth, the willingness to seek the mind of Christ, and if need be, suffer for it, to have a real and honest love for one's fellow man and woman are the things which have been and always will be important to the Christian faith. If we have these as a church, then we need have no fear for the future. It will be as bright as the promises of God. Isn't that really good? That's beautiful and so true. This has been in my mind for like the last year as I've been here as your pastor. The form that we figure out together is of secondary importance and it will always change. But there are these central parts. There is one, in fact, central grounding truth and that is the story of the risen Christ. And with that at our center... There is no need to fear. Even the reading of scripture, the preaching that happens here is itself an act to incarnate the risen Christ in your midst. When you sing together, when we baptize, when we take communion, it is an invitation for Jesus to place the Holy Spirit right in the center of what we are doing. And I love the way that he says it. Devotion to prophetic religious truth. The willingness to seek the mind of Christ and if need be to suffer for it. To have a real and honest love for one's fellow man and woman. Hey, y'all sang about that choir. They'll know we are Christians by our love. That is what we are grounded on. This is the 50s. In case you're wondering if we've been telling the same story, we've been telling the same story. You just keep hiring different people to say it. Now, Dr. Lane, this is the piece that you worked on with one of your interns. I was asking Dr. Lane about this. Uh, this is from the 80s, and this is how we found it. It's like a typewriter, uh, letter-sized, uh, accurate history is the way that it talks about it. 
And Charles Atkins is the one who wrote this in collaboration with Dr. Lane and others in the congregation at the time. And they were trying to figure out the history, trying to figure out where things changed, where we were. In our Part of knowing where we are and where we are going is knowing where we have been. And so that's part of what was happening here in the 80s. This is how Dr. Charles Atkins says it. It's been a long-held that by knowing where one has been, one can find a sense of identity and direction. I remember reading through your years, which were built upon the years where you served, and again, feeling a deep sense of of humbleness uh, for what it is we are building on from what you've done for the last decade or so. Uh, It was a beautiful season that both of you were able to be and pastoring and leadership here. Um, one of the things that was said here, though, because you had like, there was a period where it was like 83% growth, which was awesome. And the church had entered into this really beautiful phase after all of those cycles of, of loss and snowbirds leaving 2,000 strong all at once. And there was this sense of lift. And so uh, Charles Atkins says in here, he says, listen, we are projecting that with growth rates at this number, we will be at 1,000 people by 1990. <laughs> Do you remember 1990s? The late 90s, the early aughts, it was a different period. Churches had changed, right? We go through cycles. I was telling Corey this, and she goes, oh, it's like the tide. It pulls out, and it pushes. And that language of having no fear is always present. This church has been through a lot. The folks who have made up this family of faith have been through a lot. And so we're not at a thousand. We weren't ever at a thousand after that period. God has been present and been faithful all the same. Here's what Deuteronomy 26 is about. It's about the difference between history and memory. History is not what I read in all of these books. They were cast as history books, as histories of this congregation. And you can see that in the stats, in the what happened But what I really found there was memory, was a good, sacred kind of remembering about what we had been called to in 1883 and what we continue to be called to. Here's the difference between history and memory. First one asks what happened, and the second asks who am I? Part of the reason that you show up here every Sunday is because of that second question. Even when we talk about like the central story of our faith, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ, it's not because we really care about what happened, but because somehow that story tells us who we are. And that matters. That that is memory. Can I tell you one more story about us? In the 1890s, our American Baptist uh, regional denomination was, was founded. So it was after the church. It was like 1890 or so. And in 1891, we sent two delegates. So two delegates. You send delegates to go vote at these things. We sent two, and they showed in one of the histories the things that they had decided together there. Uh, this was during the era of Prohibition, uh, which was at that time a very meaningful social 
uh, cause. But one of the things that that early delegation approved, or I should say more clearly condemned, that I will carry with me for quite a while, is this is the time of uh, this deep fear of immigration. Particularly during the gold rush of uh, folks from China who were coming over. And so the Chinese Exclusion Act, do you remember learning about this in history class? It was actually written by someone in California. Uh, and at this assembly where we sent two from this congregation, the Baptist group there voted to condemn that act. Now we look back on it now and think like, what were they thinking? That's crazy. Why would you treat folks who were in your midst that way? In fact, verse 10 and 11. You shall set the first fruits down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the sojourners or the aliens or the immigrants who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given you and your house. I'm pretty sure that in 1890, whoever was part of this congregation also had the book of Deuteronomy in their Bible and they were probably reading it. And they, right, that's our people. Way later, but earlier than others, we had a thing called open membership, where this church opened up membership to folks from all different races and backgrounds. And at the time, it was a big deal, and it was a risk. When Charlie Bell said, sometimes we suffer for what we feel God calling us to, those are the kind of things that would cause suffering. There are other things like that in this congregation in our life together. And there will be other times like that where we find a voice to speak with clarity about what it is that God is telling us. Sometimes, I don't know if you felt this way, uh, but sometimes I feel a mixture of protectionism and a, and a sense of call to speak with precision. The, right, the protectionism is if there is clarity spoken in the way that I feel the spirit moving, then there will be suffering, we might say. Um, and then I read our history and realize, oh, yeah, this, I'm not the first person that's felt that way. And neither are you. This church has been here for 130 plus years. And part of what we do today is take the next step and the next step and the next step without fear. There have been seasons of fear in this congregation. When numbers change, when giving changes, when the stock market changes, there is fear that can infect because the world is still the world all around us. But the central story that God rescues has not changed. So this is what I learned over and over again in reading our history. That God rescued them constantly. God rescued them. In the same pews, often with the same songs, definitely with the same scriptures, God showed up. But, just like in Deuteronomy, the realization turns into the present reality that God rescues us. I've been here for a little over a year, and we've already started to tell those stories afresh and anew. About the way that God is still pulling us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. 
we've been gifted and we receive with open arms. This story of this congregation. I looked up how new, how young, the biggest, most important churches in this country are, and they are baby churches compared to ours. We've been here for quite a while, at this corner for quite a while, as the city of Pasadena changes around us for quite a while, with no intention to go anywhere, but to be rooted and grounded. Today, And basically every Sunday when we gather, we are about the project of remembering. There isn't a word in Hebrew for history about what happened. The language in Hebrew is zahar, right? To remember. That's the language of history. Over and over and over again, they tell the story. Just like here, remember that you were in Egypt and that God rescued you. Now, when we talk about memory and talk about remembering, it's this language that we lean into of knitting back together. Because life is dismembering. The world pulls. And sometimes it tears. And we have been given a story to remember so that we might be remembered back together. So that's what we're going to do today. That's what we've been doing today. Telling each other's stories. You will have noticed, and if you pay attention, you will continue to see, that there is a common thread that runs through these stories, which is that God is with us. God has been with this family for quite a while. And God is still present. And we are still seeking. If you are new here, and we are new here, then welcome. We are going to go downstairs in a little bit. And downstairs, uh, Corey, my wife, uh, working with the staff, uh, built a timeline across one of the walls in the gym. Uh, and in that timeline, it takes all of the years that we've been a congregation. And you'll see pictures and you'll read pieces from our history. And at the very end of the timeline, you're going to see uh, a mirror. And when you get to that, you're going to see you. And I want you to stop. Just look to your left when you're in that space. And see what it is that you are inheriting. The story that you are being invited to pick up. Give thanks. I am thankful. I I am truly thankful for both of you. I'm thankful for all of you. The words Paul says right in Philippians. Give thanks all the time. For the work that you have done in this place. For the ways that you have sought God's presence in this city. It is with deep humility that we today take up that call. Over and over again that we take up that call. In a moment, after we sing together, the deacons are going to come forward and they're going to lead us in a litany of recommitting, of recovening together. What, What it is that we are doing here.
I've found in the last month or so as we prepare for today, my feet being well planted in this place and in this story. It is beautiful and it is tragic. What is it that Beekner says? Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. And don't be afraid. Today and tomorrow is both beautiful and it is terrible. And we will continue not to fear because God is here. Will you pray with me? God, may we remember well that we are not and have never been alone. May we see the things that have us so tangled up with a sense of perspective. That this is not rocking your world, even if it's rocking our world. Give us of a long view, the long arc of justice and of salvation that we might develop a long obedience in the same direction. God, we love you with an old love. Continue to love us into tomorrow. Christ's name. Amen. Litany of committal, of recovening together. These are some of uh, the leaders from among you, and I've asked if they would help to lead this congregational reading. You're going to see the words up on the screen, and this is for all of us uh, to read together. So open up your hearts and your ears, and then also your mouth. Would you please lead us? Let us read together. Creating and redeeming God. We give you thanks and praise. Your covenant of grace was made for our salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. We come this day to covenant with you and with our companions in discipleship to watch over each other and to walk together before you in the ways known and still to be made known. Pour down your spirit on us. Help us so to walk in your ways that the promises we make this day and the life that we live together may become an offering of love, our duty and delight, truly glorifying to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And now these words, this day we give ourselves again to the Lord and to each other, to be bound together in fellowship and to work together in the unity of the Spirit for the sake of God's mission. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.